seated. Our sermon text today is Genesis 50, verses 15 to 21. If you are to understand this passage, though, we really need to be aware of the, the narrative of which it is a part. To give you a little bit of background, it is the story of Joseph. Now, you recall last week we, we spoke of Abraham and Isaac, and, and, well, Isaac ended up growing up and having a son named Jacob. And Jacob ended up having... 12 sons, one of whom was Joseph, of whom we read this morning. Joseph was his father's favorite. Now, that's not necessarily a good thing to have such favoritism among your children, but it's certainly true that he did. He gave Joseph a coat of many colors that displayed how very much he loved him, and between that and the fact that Joseph tended to have these dreams, these dreams that were rather grandiose. He would brag about them to his brothers, telling them about how he dreamed that one day they would all bow down to him. That's a really good way to get on your brother's bad side, by the way. Well, the brothers weren't too happy with all of this, and so they came up with a scheme. They were going to kill him. But then they decided, wait a second, if we kill him, we don't get anything out of that. So instead, they, they sold him into slavery for 20 pieces of silver. They took his coat and tore it and dipped it in blood and brought it back to his father and said, Oh, Dad, your, your, your son Joseph, he was attacked by a wild beast. He was killed. All we were able to save was the coat. And his father mourned. Well, meanwhile, Joseph was taken off to Egypt where, where he served a man named Potiphar. He served him well. He, he was very uh, hardworking. He was industrious. He was wise in the support he gave. But one day, Potiphar's wife made advances toward Joseph, who was a handsome young man. Joseph refused those advances, but when he did, Potiphar's wife claimed that Joseph had actually attacked her and he was thrown in jail where he stayed for years while he was there though he uh, ended up interpreting some more dreams of other people and word got to pharaoh that there was this guy he had in jail who could interpret dreams and pharaoh had some dreams that he wanted interpreted so he brought joseph to him joseph was able to explain them to him in a very helpful way and pharaoh had him released and Joseph actually rose to such a position of prominence that he was second in all the land only to Pharaoh. Meanwhile, back in Israel, where his family was, they, there was a famine that had come across the land. And so the sons of Jacob went to Egypt looking for help. Long story short, Joseph provided for them but then later on, when their father died, they became worried. They became worried that the only reason he had been nice to them was because of their father. And they feared that now, with their father gone, recompense was coming their way. If you're able, would you now rise as we look at Genesis 50, verses 15 through 21. This is the inspired word of God. 
When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of God, your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and inspired word, our only infallible rule for faith and practice. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. You may be seated. Please pray with me. Our Lord and our God, we just ask that you speak to us today. Show us your truth and give us your joy. For your joy truly is our strength. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, this indeed is our third Sunday in Advent. Advent's third Sunday is the, the Sunday that we, we think about joy. We reflect on joy, and, and remaining joyful in our world can be a hard thing at times, can't it? Uh, the world is unquestionably broken, and we seemingly have zero control over our circumstances. And many of those circumstances are, are so terribly undesirable. Uh, people betray us. Work is difficult. Loved ones get sick or even die. And if our joy is inexorably linked to our circumstances, then we are doomed to lack joy. And yet we are commanded to remain joyful. How is it then that we can remain joyful even in the midst of the worst of circumstances? Well, first off, we, we need to remember that joy is a fruit of the Spirit. It is not something that we conjure up from within. It is a gift of God that he works out in and through us. What Charles Spurgeon said was true. Beloved, we are not left to search for joy. It is brought to our doors by the love of God our Father. Joy refined and satisfying, befitting immortal spirits. God has not left us to wander among those unsatisfactory things which mock the chase which they invite. He has given us appetites which carnal things cannot content. And he has provided suitable satisfaction for those appetites. He has stored up at his right hand pleasures forevermore, which even now he reveals by his spirit to those chosen ones whom he has taught to long for them. Wow, that, that sounds great. Give me some of that. Joseph shows us a picture of, of what that might look like. 
in this passage, he, he gives us an idea of how we can remain joyful even when our circumstances seem to be against us. But I want to warn you before we look a little more deeply at it, we need to understand that, that it's going to seem uh, contrary to conventional wisdom in the way that he goes about doing things. He shows us this picture first in forgiving those who have wronged us instead of seeking vengeance. Let me show you how it would have been very easy for Joseph to have, to have not only kept score, but to have worked to settle the score, right? He, he had the upper hand here in Genesis 50 when his brothers came back to him. And it's certainly the way of the world, isn't it? We tend to have very long memories. I can remember childhood companions from first and second grade and even earlier who did things where they wronged me or mistreated me. And I still at times think about those times and, oh, it just kind of riles me up. We have long memories. Certainly what his brothers worried about, right? Verse 15, when they saw that their father is dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil we did to him. They harbored no illusions, right? They realized that what they had done was evil, right? It wasn't just, well, you know, it was a, a, just a joke among brothers, you know, or some good-natured teasing, you know. Sometimes you sell your brother off into slavery, you know. No, they realized it was evil. And justice demands that there be recompense for all that is evil. And I think many would, would say that Joseph had already kind of gone above and beyond the call of duty and forgiving them uh, earlier. And, and, and if he was into pure, unadulterated justice, he, he simply could have let them die before. Right? He didn't have to do anything to help them. And he certainly didn't have to do anything to continue to help them. Their evil actions had brought that upon themselves. And yet, even as the brothers know this, they know this is not what they want. And so they come up with a plan. I think that that's what happens here. It says that they sent, it says, so they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Right? And I think what's happening here when it says, so they sent him a command, remember, it says that they were worried, so they sent this command. I, I don't think, and most commentators don't think, that Jacob ever said this, right? They basically were worried, fearful, and they said, what are we going to do? I got it. Tell Joseph that dad's dying wish was that he'd be nice to us, right? Because, because then, even if he doesn't want to be nice to us, out of, out of fondness for his father, out of duty to his father, he might still be nice to us. And so that message from, Joseph, or from Jacob to Joseph, supposedly, said, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And the brothers asked, now please forgive the transgressions of the servants of the God of your father. It can be hard to forgive. Forgiveness means letting go. It's, it's, it's not 
minimizing the seriousness of the offense against you. Quite the opposite. It is, it is realizing that it is a serious offense. It is something that was wrong. It is rightly labeled evil here. But saying, I won't hold you responsible for evil. Forgiveness is not also not saying, well, well, just get over it. You know, I, I just, you know, I'm going to allow the other person to just get away with it. Right? Because God brings justice to every situation. Now, that's why Paul tells us in Romans 12, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, the, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome evil, but overcome evil with good. You see, forgiveness means releasing people from what they owe you, the debt that they've incurred. But here's the, the really great thing. Forgiveness not only releases them from a debt that they owe, forgiveness actually does something else that's even more powerful. As it's been said, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and to discover that the prisoner was you. Right? Because when we forgive somebody, we, we let go of the anger and the animosity and the bitterness and the, the hatred that consumes us when we fail to forgive. Right? We, we let go of those things. We are freed from those things. And they no longer will control us. They'll no longer direct us. And we're able to, to be truly free. This is the kind of forgiveness that Joseph offered. But, but if that's true, then, then why do we read what comes next? These brothers came to him and they said, you know, let us go. His dad said, let us go. Right? And then we read that Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Why did he weep? Well, you, you could suggest perhaps it's just that, you know, they're talking about his dad who died, and so that made him sad to think about his dad who died. No doubt it did. But I think there's something more going on there too. I think that he is weeping because he is brokenhearted over the fact that his brothers just don't get it. They don't get him, and they don't get it. Right? They, they don't understand the kind of character that he has, the kind of joy that he is able to have, even in the midst of this situation, the kind of forgiveness that he is truly able to offer from the depth of his soul, the kind of forgiveness he already had offered. He had given them forgiveness. It was theirs for the taking. And yet, they seem unable to truly receive it. They, they seem unable to truly accept that it is theirs. And so what do we say here? see here in verse 18? It says, brothers came and fell down before them and said, behold, we are your servants. It, it reminded me of the prodigal son, right? You remember the story in Luke 15 of the prodigal son who went off to the far country with his father's money and wasted it all. And, and, and soon it was gone on riotous and reckless living. He finally came to his senses and said, you know, the, the servants back home have it better than I do. I'll go home and, and tell my dad that, that I, I've sinned against heaven and against you and, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but... Treat me as one of your hired hands. 
And so when he came back, the father saw him way off in the distance, and and the father ran to him and met him on the road, and he threw his arms around him and hugged him and kissed him. And before the son could even spit out what his plan was, the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, put a ring on his hand, and put uh, shoes on on his feet. Bring the fat and fatted calf and kill it. Let's, let's have a celebration. For this, my son was dead. But he's alive again. He was lost. But now he is found. Right? That, that joy of one having come back. He's, he's forgiven and and the son who wanted to just be a servant, let me just be your servant. But the father says, no, you're my son. You're family. And I love you. That's what Joseph is saying to his brothers. They're, they're coming, they're saying, just, just, we don't deserve to be called your brothers. They were right, by the way. They didn't deserve that. But he's willing to extend grace. He's willing to extend forgiveness. He's willing to extend love. Because they're family. And he's willing to forgive. Even if they're not family, though, right? First Thessalonians 5 tells us, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. That's First Thessalonians 5.15. You know what First Thessalonians 5.16 is? Rejoice always. It's interesting that those are right next to each other, isn't it? Don't hold a grudge against anyone. Don't repay evil for evil. Always be willing to forgive everyone all the time. And oh, by the way, rejoice always. Forgiveness is tied to joy. The second way that we see Joseph show us how to maintain our joy in a broken world is by letting God be God and realizing his purposes can be hard to discern. Do not fear, Joseph tells them in verse 19. Do not fear. One of the most repeated commands in the Bible. Do not fear. Usually connected with God's promise of presence with us. Here Joseph is content to let God be God. He says in verse 19, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? So often we want to be in the place of God. Right? We want to usurp his throne. We want to be the ones who decide what is best for us. We want to be the ones who decide what is right. We want to be the ones who decide what will make us happy. We want to be the ones who determine where real joy comes from. We want to be the ones to try to take control of every situation. But what we fail to realize is that God is already completely in control even when things seem to be spinning off their axis when things spinning seem to be spinning out of control he has control right verse 20 we see it those famous words as you as for you you meant evil against me but god meant it for good whatever happens to us it is part of a giant five-dimensional puzzle that god is putting together, right? And, and we can only see a little tiny 
bit of it. We don't understand it, and we, we can't possibly figure it all out. But God sees all the pieces. He's put it all together. It's all part of his providence. Right? The Westminster Divines said God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful preserving of all his, preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. One commentary says the doctrine of providence teaches Christians that they are never in the grip of blind fortune, chance, luck, or fate. All that happens to them is divinely planned and each event comes as a new summons to trust, obey, and rejoice, knowing that all is for one spiritual and eternal good. Just like we read before in Romans 8, right? That, that we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. We don't always know what those purposes are, but we know that God is at work in them. It can be awfully hard to understand how this is possible sometimes. But it's often because we only consider how they directly affect us. We're very myopic. We, we are very focused on us. But notice here in verse 20 again, he says, God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. God's plans weren't just for Joseph, right? His plans for Joseph weren't just for Joseph. His plans for Joseph were for lots of other people, right? They, they had an impact there. It's like when I was a kid, I had a Rubik's Cube, right? And, and you know, a Rubik's Cube is fun. I, I could get it together and I'd get one side all, I'd get the green side all perfectly put together. I'm like, okay, now I want to put together the yellow side. But you know what would happen when I tried to put together the yellow side? It messed up the green side, right? Because every time I moved something on the yellow side, it impacted everything on the green side. Right? And that's how life is. Right? Everything we do doesn't just impact us. It's impacting others as well. And so God is at work in all of our lives, with every little piece of our life. Right? In just a few short weeks, we will remember those words of the angel to the shepherd, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be just for you. No, that's not what the angel said. That will be for all the peoples. All the peoples. Remember, God is at work in all things, preserving and governing all his creation and all their actions. It's not just about you. And remembering that God is at work in your life, impacting the lives of others, can help be a source of joy even when things seem hard. That's how it was for Joseph, certainly. Finally, Joseph shows us how we can remain joyful by giving of yourselves even when it is costly. Verse 21, he says, So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Right? Conventional wisdom says what, what comes around goes around. And and even if we are like good Christians, right, we might think, well, he's got to forgive them and, and just be neutral toward them, right? But 
But no, what God actually calls us to is something more than that. What, what Joseph actually does, he doesn't just say, okay, I forgive you. I'm not coming after you. I'm not doing anything bad to you, but you're on your own. No, he says, I will provide for you. The very ones who were against him, the very ones who hated him, the very ones who betrayed him, the very ones who sold him into slavery, the very ones who left him for dead, he would provide for. And that would be costly. Not just financially, yes, but costly in terms of, of the cost of true forgiveness, the cost of relinquishing of what we have over one another. We, we don't always do this very well, do we? Uh, I, I know there's been times when, when somebody's wronged me and I've forgiven them because that's what I'm supposed to do. And then we get in an argument days later or weeks later or even years later. And I'll bring up in the midst of the argument that thing that I forgave them for all that time back there. right? Because I hadn't really forgiven them. I was still holding on to it. I hadn't let it go. I hadn't paid the price to let it go. right? Because there is a cost in the forgiveness of a debt. We must assume the debt, right? If, if you owe me $20 and I tell you, hey, you don't have to pay me back, don't worry about it. That costs me $20 to forgive that debt. We need to realize how very much we have been forgiven we had an infinite debt that we owed to God on account of our sin. We who made ourselves enemies of God through our disobedience. We who, who should have loved him and had every reason to love him have experienced his love, his doing good for us, his blessing us. And yes, even his dying for us. And so, not because it earns us anything, but simply out of loving gratitude, we ought to heed the words of Jesus in Luke 6 when he says, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And for the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And for the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish others would do for you, do so to them. He goes on to say, love your enemies and do good. Lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, for you will be sons of the Most High for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your father is merciful. So in the end, that's what's required to us. Just be merciful like God is merciful. Well, what does that look like? How do we quantify such mercy? We see it most clearly, of course, in the person of Jesus, the true and better Joseph. He who was betrayed and sold for a handful of silver coins. He who was given over to death by his brothers. He who willingly endured the purposes of God, difficult though they were. He who, who forgave the sins of those who wronged him. He who gave the most costly of gifts. 
And why did he do all this? Well, Hebrews 12 tells us. Jesus did this for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. What was, what was that joy about? That joy involved saving you and me. That, that joy involved him conquering death and one day wiping it away altogether and with it wiping away every one of our tears and wiping away every fear from our heart. And that's ultimately why Nehemiah can proclaim the joy of the Lord is your strength. You can have joy no matter what your circumstances because the promise of God that he will always be with you because the death of Christ shows us the unlimited lengths to which he will go for you and because his resurrection vindicates his victory over death and assures his return one day to set all things to rights. And as we wait for that day, we do so in the joy of the Lord. Even amidst the darkness and gloom of our griefs and sorrows, his light shines through. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we, we pray that you would indeed help us to be joyful. Help us to realize how blessed we are. Help us to see the example of Christ. Help us to be empowered by the Spirit of Christ. And help us to know that you know what is best for us. We pray that you would lead us into joy even as we wait for your return. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.